Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge. Inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. There's a lot of people that are, um, I've heard the term corny being tossed around a lot. I think right. corny can be funny sometimes. No, not corny. 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 Quarantine horny. Oh, oh my goodness. The, corny. Corny. Reformed Whores just wrote a song about it. Our friends are Reformed Whores. Great band. Very funny. They are really, they are great. Uh, they wrote a song about the idea of, you know, we're in quarantine. People m- miss. Human touch. Sure. Mm. People are, are randy for it, right? And yeah. they want to touch it. And corn I, nuts. Corn nuts. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they're going corn nuts. They're going corn nuts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but this episode is a really good cure for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're doing a public service. Really? Trying to lower the horniness levels. Of this country. Hey, it, someone's got to. Someone has to. I think it takes three stallions like us to do this. <laughs> we, we, I, I will ride the horse that is me into the land of no erections because there is nothing less sexy than the story we're about to tell about our Arthur Shawcross right. in every way. In every fucking way. Oh, now I'm just thinking about us on, a, on three stallions driving through a field of limp dicks. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> As they blow in the wind. Like in Gladiator. <laughs> kind where of I'm just like, like rolling my hands through it and just knowing that that was where my wife was burned alive in this field of flaccid dicks. What up, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left. I am Ben with Henry and uh, Marcus as well. Yeah. Yes, as Henry said, today's episode is going to be, I think it's safe to say, a disgusting, disturbing episode. We haven't had a Gold Star episode in a while. Perhaps it won't be in this one, but at the very least in part two of who we're going to cover today. Although, looking at Henry's face, it looks like stars might be handed out today as well. The only way I would describe it, if we want to say how many Gold Stars are in this series, I'd say that they would, if you brought them into a pizza place, you'd get a free pizza. Oh, not bad. (laughs) And you don't even have to read any books you just have to listen (laughs) so today's topic we have had a lot of people requesting him don't know why man's very hideous in every way arthur shawcross Arthur Shawcross, a.k.a. the Genesee River Killer, was an American serial killer who murdered 11 women, mostly sex workers, and two children in upstate New York between 1972 and 1990 in two separate murder sprees. This story takes place in, which I 
I think is interesting. You say uh, upstate New York, which I think is kind. Let's just say it's fucking awful Rochester. <laughs> I, I, oh, that I, is upstate New York. Rochester. Is. They got the Rochester wings. They do. Yeah. But true crime writers, they really like to throw the term red light district around. <laughs> like, I think very freely. There like, yeah. was a red light in Rochester. Yeah, absolutely. And it was in Arthur Shawcross's bathroom. So it made his shit orange so he could look at it and think it's Play-Doh. Oh, my goodness. This fucking, Rochester does not have a red light district. Rochester no. has a fuck spot. Sure. I mean, what's wrong with that? I'm just saying a red light district is where you go and meet a, a like a girl with a blue wig who tells you a secret. And if you see Prince Andrew somewhere in there, you can call a bouncer and they make him leave, you know, because it's like a classy place. This is uh, there has been not a smile from sexual pleasure in Rochester oh since my. maybe one of the governors was made. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone's having sex and having good times in Rochester, eating chicken wings, dr- drinking beers, slamming whiskey. Rochester's a great place to drink and eat wings and then don't dry it. And go into the fuck spot. <laughs> I don't know. See, almost more than anyone else we've covered, Arthur Shawcross was the archetype of a person you'd half-jokingly call a psycho, a monstrous, malignant tumor of a man who nestled himself into neighborhoods and either killed or just plain disturbed Every life he touched. This is the problem with everyone trying to save the suburbs. Have you met (laughs) the neighbors? These people are psychotic. I am really worried about home ownership just because you never know who's moving in. And then you have countless feuds. All of a sudden, someone's pissing in your yard. All of a sudden, dogs are crapping all over the place. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to put fucking holes in your theory right now. Arthur Shawcross was a renter. Oh, (laughs) okay. Dangerous, criminally perverted, and just plain mean, Arthur Shawcross was the American approximation of Andre Chikatilo, a man who mutilated his victims post-mortem and practiced cannibalism as a way to increase his sexual thrills. I knew that Art Shawcross was a fucking monster, but then as you really dip into it, he is, um, he's real unpleasant. Yeah. (laughs) And there's something about this type of serial killer that... He is truly antisocial. Yeah. He committed every crime known to man. He never added to society in any way, shape, or form. He only ever subtracted. He was a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. He um, was uh, mean to animals. Well, that's and he not was, nice. He was just, I mean, he, nothing was good about him. But I think there's interesting about the cannibalism part of his crime Jeez. was that when we cover certain cannibal killers, like, even like Dennis Nilsson or Jeffrey Dahmer or uh, even Issei Sagawa, the guy from Japan, like they kind mm-hmm. of have a like a Lonely Hearts killer version of themselves. They're a little bit more. They're looking for emotional acceptance and they want someone to stay with them forever, which is why they cannibalize. Where Arthur Shawcross was more of like, how the fuck do I do this? The dirtiest, meanest, worst thing mm. possible to fulfill whatever it is is the the far reaching edges of my dark fantasies, which is not great. All right, so Dahmer is nice in comparison with Arthur Shawcross. Just I don't a, know if I'd a say testament that. Testament to how bad Arthur Shawcross is. But at least Jeffrey Dahmer went out dancing. Okay, yeah. and Milwaukee well, it, does have a red light district. 
That's right. Well, I mean, with Arthur Shawcross, it's just like with Andre Chikatilo. It is an animalistic way of living. It's taking it down. It, it is type. It is keying in to the lizard brain part of the human brain and just keying into violence specifically okay. and to be as much of an animal as you possibly can be. Okay. More than anything, though, he was a misfit. In the true sense of the word, a person who never quite entered into the social contracts that keep our fucking society going. And because of his refusal to enter those social contracts, or maybe his inability, he viciously murdered 13 people. Social contracts aren't that difficult. Just become a member of the Elks Club. You just sit, you have fri- you have Friday fish fries. No, it's dude, not the JCs, like it's hard. The JCs help sponsor John Wayne Gacy's 22 boys in the basement. No, they help sponsor John Wayne Gacy's clown career, and then he tangentially had 26 babies in the basement. But um, it's not that difficult to become a fabric of society. You no. can do the simplest things. Literally sit, eat. Oh, this is good. Tammy, did you make this? You're right. The You're bar, done. The bar. The whole day. Yes, I did. Oh, this is good. And then Tammy will say, Art is such a nice guy. The bar is extremely low for that, society. That's it. I will also say a thing about Archaw Cross. Real weird looking. Very weird looking. Because he grew into his body. I think that you would probably know Arthur Shawcross from seeing him in interview of a serial killer or interview with a serial killer on Netflix where he kind of looks like a big evil Santa Claus. But early on... He's all head. And I was trying to figure out a way to describe what he looked like. And then I happened upon a group of professional arm wrestlers. <laughs> and he looks like one of them. He has the body yeah. of a man who only needs his right arm to be strong. So you you, you happened upon a photo of a group of professional arm wrestlers. I literally yeah, did. You. It was on Reddit. It was like in the thing. It was like arm Reddit. It was arm wrestling championships. And I was just like, well, it looks hard. It is hard. I watched it. I watched it during quarantine. That and a lot of cornhole, which I actively cheered. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That was on TV. Well, as far as sources for this two-parter go, we used The Misbegotten Son by Jack Olson and The Genesee River Killer by Joel Norris and lightly used The Shawcross Letters by John Paul Fay. And we lightly used it because most serial killer letters are far more boring, repetitive, and unimaginative than one would hope. Yeah. Let me just give you a, a tiny, just a tiny little taste of one of these letters. Please do. Give me a big UFO and fill it with women to do what I tell them, or out the door they go. Make sure you have robot guards. Ha ha! Robots obey without question. I just ate a tomato with lots of black pepper on it. Pepper, we are not allowed. Got a catalog with pork products. What tastes better than pork? Pussy! Gotta go, pal! Arthur Shawcross. Honestly, is that an email from Ben Kissel? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go! You know how I do that. Pepper's not allowed here, but I got a bunch of pepper, which is pretty cool if you think about tomatoes and how you can put pepper on tomatoes and a pussy! You know, that's how I talk. You know that. There's there's like fun, I mean, every once in a while he'll throw in a line like, there is something about pussy lips that turn me into a sex machine! Jesus! Alright, but the thing with Arthur is, you just said those were gonna be boring, those are kind of more exciting than most serial killer letters that we've read. You did just entertain Kissel. Those are the only two excerpts out of all of the letters in the book that have any, I guess, even at the very least, like a little entertainment value. Otherwise, it's just, it's boring, it's plotting, uh, and it's just fucking gross. Well, especially yeah. if you read them as he sounds, where he's like, Get yourself a UFO, you know, filled with women. That make me happy. Yeah, you know, I don't a lot of black pepper on it. You know, I have pepper. 
You, my friend, are having such a great time on the Rochester Red Light District. You need to come here closer. You come here closer and you're going to kiss me on the mouth. That's not what I pay you for. I don't pay you to kiss me on the mouth. I pay you to kiss me on the chest. I pay you to look away. I pay you to go away. Well, bar's closing. Gotta get out of here. <laughs> nice chatting with you. So, without further ado, let's get into the story of Arthur Shawcross, starting as always with his enormously fucked up childhood in Watertown, New York, just south of the Canadian border. Because Arthur Shawcross does kind of have a Canadian accent. His speaking pattern is very strange and boring. And also, it's puzzling and, and infuriating. There's something about him that is deeply infuriating to me watching him. Because also, for a person who can barely speak, he has done a lot of interviews. Yeah. Which I find really strange because he doesn't like, because every single time he'll do an interview, he's like, I'm not going into details on that. I'm yeah. not going into detail. But it's like, why are you talking then? I guess he gets out of his cell. Yeah. You know what it is? You know what's infuriating about him is that even though he's obviously a fucking moron, he's condescending the entire time. I hate him. Well, in the direct words of his mother, Betty, Arthur was, quote, A weird little bastard from the time he learned to walk. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Born two months premature in 1945, little Art as he liked to be called, was born with a blank look on his face. And according to his mother, he almost never cried. I don't like milk. I don't like blankets. I don't like ducky. I don't like bunny. I don't like to be coddled. I like the hammer. I like the knife. <laughs> He's a perfect baby. <laughs> Sleeps through the night. That's perfect. Doesn't need to be fed all the time. Well, the reason why he never cried is because he was incapable of actually crying like a human being from birth. Huh. And he would instead make a noise that sounded like a lamb bleeding to approximate the emotions crying was supposed to convey. <laughs> Cry, I'm crying. I'm crying. Well, as is par for the course, Shawcross would wet the bed constantly. And according to a school custodian who somehow remembered Shawcross, Arthur never had a single friend at any age during school. Yeah, of course he remembers Shaw Cross. He was the only, he had to follow him around with a freaking mop. The guy was always big. <laughs> of course he was like, you know that janitor's just like, I had it so easy. Well, then he's also was a notable oddball. And then if you're a janitor besides yourself, you remember one of your students becoming a famous serial killer. Of yeah. course. Because we know all janitors, 90% of them are guilty of some sort of no, crime they, if they have not been I'm persecuted. I'm sure you've been not. aligning janitors for a very long time. Seventh grade janitor at St. Pete's named Bob. He used to smoke cigars in his office. I used to be able to hang out with him. He had deer heads everywhere. He was a great guy. Yep. The janitor at, uh, at my high school was Joe Freddy. Joe Freddy was fucking great. That's right. So now think about that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't know. I think, though, if you took a gander at some of their journals, you'd see some interesting ideas that the genders have. Now, part of why Shawcross had no friends was because he delighted in making younger children cry. He would also fight kids if he lost any competition, and he regularly broke the noses of other children by flinging books at their faces for seemingly no reason. He came out the box. I mean, literally the box. He came out of the vagina an, uh, violent. Like, he yeah. came out very upset. And right. the only way he seemed to be able to communicate was physical violence. You do know yeah. that vaginas aren't actually shaped like a box. No, right? I've seen them. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
Well, because Shawcross had no friends, he created imaginary ones. A boy his age and an older blonde girl who wore silver clothes. Like the tall whites. Yeah. And he'd have out loud conversations with them using a tinny type of baby speak to represent his imaginary playmates. Tell me, Sarah from outer space, tell me, would do you wish that we could bury everyone we've ever met? Yeah, Artie. Yeah, I wish we could get a shovel and put the whole world in grave. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty smart, Sarah. Now come here, let me feel on it. Come here, let me feel on it. No, Artie. Okay. <laughs> well, it's his imaginary friend, I suppose. So he did have some ability to create. He wasn't like totally... I mean, you know, I have, I, we all had imaginary friends, I would assume, right? Well, he wasn't very bright. He did have that. He did have that urge to create and the urge to have companionship. But because he was not smart in any way whatsoever, he couldn't come up with any dialogue from the other side that wasn't baby speak. Because uh. he would talk to his friends like, "Hey, you want to go on down to the river?" And they come back like, "Me want to go down to river, yes." Oh, God. I'm going to have to kill that imaginary friend. Unimagine that friend. That's the only way to kill an imaginary friend. That's what you've all seen the movie. Drop Dead Fred. No, you get a job in in the corporate world. And and it kills your imagination, unless you're a part of the 25 member social media team here at Spotify. (laughs) Well, because of all this, the children gave Arthur Shawcross the nickname Audie. But even though he tried bribing kids into being his friend, they'd usually just take his money and force him to stand on the edge of the playground because he was violently unpredictable. This is where he's kind of similar to a Jeffrey Dahmer early on, where Mm. Jeffrey Dahmer became like the class character and became an identity for him. And they used his oddball status and he used his own oddball status as a way to sort of like have a place in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, even though he was drinking himself in, in order to not fantasize about dead boys. Like, Arthur Shawcross, I think it's almost the opposite, where he was put in this position, but because he had literally not a single social skill. I, wa- I wonder if there is something to having a developmental, emotional problem. He said that he lived inside of an envelope yeah. quite a bit later on. And so this idea of being... A boy, Jason Voorhees, like standing on the edge of everyone playing and just been like, I'll tell you what, next time I play games, I'm play games with the organs. Hey, we gonna play games with the organs. <laughs> Jason just wanted to go swimming in the lake and the kids drown him. And then the only reason he kills all the campers is because they murdered his mother. Jason Voorhees is a very loving character. He loves his mom. I know. And I don't want to have the comparison between he and Arthur Shawcross. I'm just going to say, you know what? Michael Myers then. Michael Myers, his father was abusive. His mother was an alcoholic. His sister never retconned. cared about him. Every bit of that is retconned. I know, that was never I know real. that, but that's, that's my reality. I have a little bit of a zombie uh, influence there when it comes to Michael. Well, with Arthur Shawcross, like when you're a kid, part one of the ways that you make friends uh, is through empathy, uh, relating to other children. And Arthur Shawcross was born without an ounce of empathy within him. He could have flipped it, kid skins his knee, and Arthur could have been like, well, lick it. Like, he could have tried. <laughs> I mean, that could make a type of friend. It could make something. I mean, at the very least, a little sympathy. 
Well, when the rejection of the other kids got to be too much, Arthur started bringing an iron bar on the school bus that he'd used to whack the other kids. And when he was at school, he'd inexplicably crawl under the radiator in the classroom when other kids started singing, say, the national anthem. I tell you what, people all say singing is nice, but singing ain't nice. Singing's just screaming. <laughs> well, a little bit can be, but they, then the- they just force a scream through a little pretty little hole in their head, which I say, I say, I just want to put my mouth on, I'm gonna put my arms around, put my hands around. You know what I'm saying? I hate when they scream. I think maybe pretty. you're just listening to a lot of like, grimecore or something. You could li- maybe listen to like a little Enya or like. Um- Wait a second, Enya. This is. <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> now, Arthur Shawcross was obviously a kid in dire need of help. But when his parents were called to school to discuss his problems, both of them, particularly his mother, said that since all this happened at school, it was the school's problem to solve. Not my problem. (laughs) That is an NMP, my friend. Not my problem situation. That is like, see, he's out of the house. Now we've worked. That is ridiculous. So if he killed somebody at a roller, sta- uh, at a roller skate ring, you'd be like, that's roller skate art. Well, I'll tell <laughs> that has nothing to do with us. If you have a problem with murders happen at the roller skate rink, you should start talking to the roller skate police. <laughs> and that's actually what the defund police movement's all about. Is creating is right? <laughs> like actual roller skate police so that if there are roller skate crimes, just people that are designed to administer and help with roller skate crimes can attend to them. You want to hear something real stupid? And speaking of corny, uh, yeah, you know what they need to get? They need to de- they need to get defund police to have fun uh, to have police that are like you're not having enough fun. And then like and then the cops all have squirt guns and silly putty. And, I would and honestly, string, I would, and we're like we're defund police. I believe there is a movie called The Wet T-shirt Detective, which is <laughs> what I think you're channeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Arthur's mother Betty was a mean, spiteful woman who beat her kids on a regular basis and when she wasn't abusing them she was abusing her downtrodden husband who Mm. deferred to her at every turn so you say downtrodden because then i also say that he was kind of also a like he was a lump he was kind of a loaf too they said that he would they would not have food on the table but he always had to have a new truck he was that type of guy well to his parents arthur was fine because arthur spent all his time out of school out in the woods and he would only come home to eat and sleep, making this little psychopath a near non-entity to his parents. Also a weird uh, tip of the hat to Jeffrey Dahmer. Same thing mm. with, with uh, Infinity Land. Like, yeah. the, he just would go out into the woods into his own little lonely, big-headed, blinky-faced world where he'd go out there and... So I, did Christopher Robbins, and he just hung out with Winnie the Pooh. The woods are a very nice place to be, really. I spent a lot of time in the woods myself. Yeah, we all, in the, the woods are great. Yeah. We, all didn't live, we all didn't grow up in Queens. <laughs> I just want a, a redo on everyone's childhood. <laughs> So, when Arthur was nine, to gain attention, he complained of leg pains. And back then, sudden leg pains in a kid usually meant polio. So, he was given the highly painful spinal tap test, which many a serial killer was given during that day and age. But, as it turned out, he was faking the entire time. And this is something he would do throughout his life. Just fake illnesses in order to gain attention. He faked his way into getting a spinal tap. He did, because it was any form of attention that he could get, truly. And that just shows Arthur Shawcross also, weirdly, for essentially a dullard, is a shapeshifter. Like, Mm. he likes to appear 
in any way, shape, or form to get any reaction whatsoever, negative or positive or whatever. He just felt entirely ignored or he felt like he couldn't get through. So something like this would be like when I auditioned for a play for the first time, he faked his way into a spinal tap. Okay, I see. <laughs> need uh, The need for attention. Well, I think in this way, I mean, Henry, this was something that you brought up to me on the phone is that th- in this way, he's uh, like Gary Ridgway, where, you know, Gary Ridgway was a fucking moron when it came to day to day life. I think his IQ was like 75 or 80 or something like that. But when it came to serial killing, Gary Ridgway was very, very I mean, for lack of a better word, talented. He yeah, knew he how was, to do it. He knew how to get away with it. And Arthur Shawcross was very talented and very intelligent in antisocial ways. But when it came to anything that had to do with everyday society, he was a fucking moron. These are the type of people that, unfortunately, unless you could get them uh, really extensive help, which is difficult to come by in modern America. Like, there are no beds for the uh, the child homicidal kill. Like, honestly. Criminally insane. There, there, are, there are no beds for these kids anymore. So what do you do with it? Technically, Arthur Shawcross should have just been put in a concrete square immediately. But it's, you know, it's difficult to do that to a child. That would be free crime, <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, the year Arthur turned nine was also the year that he supposedly had his first sexual experience. Although Arthur, like all serial killers, was also a habitual liar. So who knows if a single fucking ounce of this is true. He said that he was introduced to sex by his Aunt Tina, who would traipse around the house in her underwear and would perform and receive oral sex from Arthur when he was a mere nine years old. And this is where it starts to get a little bit less sexy for everyone yeah it's <laughs> disgusting this is not this this is this is just the i hate to this is just the tip which yeah. i shouldn't even <laughs> no, that's not said. the right that's not the right analogy here. but he changed his story many times because in yeah. an interview with the serial killer and many other times he said that his mother was the one doing the sexual abuse and there was one it doesn't get better <laughs> there was one fucking clip that i saw of a psychologist working with Arthur Shawcross where she was doing hypnotic regression on him. Yeah. And he was sitting on the couch going, Mom, Mommy, Mommy. And she's like, what are you doing, Arthur? What are you doing? He then reaches down and he grabs the very tip of his penis, <sighs> like in full camera, and he starts going, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Pulling, pulling on it, pulling on it. She's like, what you doing, Arthur? Like, she's acting as if, like, yeah. he, like, went to the cupboard to get, a, like, you know, a bag of chips. But he's tugging on his penis. Yeah, and he's he, playing he's, lawnmower. The yeah. tears are streaming down his face. He's going, mommy, mommy, mommy. But then part of me thinks that that was an act, too. Because yeah. all of these things, he comes up with these very intense, very detailed fantasies that, that seem to kind of feed his own inner needs. Soon after the dalliance with Aunt Tina, or the supposed dalliance, Arthur said he also started having sex with his sister Jeannie. And before he knew it, he was raping sheep and fucking chickens to death. When a farmer taught him how to have sex with a sheep, let me tell what? let me tell you this fun little story. Here we Why go. Why have the last eight sentences been so disgusting? It's only going <laughs> it's to get worse. from here on out, man. Jesus. This criminy. Just do this for a second. If you have a partner or if you have somebody you're like fucking right now, give them a kiss right now and then because it's going to be over. Um, this is from Arthur Shawcross. We had this neighbor. He'd take us out to the barn. He had about 30, 40 sheep out there and he'd tell us, he says, a single man can't own sheep. And he'd have a sheep in the pen, and we'd be cutting off all the wool, and he'd cut the tail off the sheep, and he'd put this white powder stuff on it, and he'd show us. And he says, you see that? That's what a woman looks like. 
No, it's not. That's a sheep. It's a shaved <laughs> sheep that is not good. Someone needs to talk to everyone in Rochester. Where, where is the farmer? Well, this, is, this is this is Watertown. This is a little. This is about I think three or four hours away from Rochester. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way Arthur Shawcross tells it is just like upstate New York is just a weird, trashy uh, fuck pot where everybody's just having awful, nasty sex with each other all no, the time. No, that's not true. I watched this one rock concert, Woodstock, there. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone was so uptight and they were wearing suits and they weren't having sex with each other on an open field. I find it interesting how often people that are from like more conservative parts like blame like, you know, like the the village in New York is where massive orgies happen and all this. Like, and like, that's sort of true. But honestly, there's so much more fucking happen in Watertown than I had ever seen. Happened like a, a in my time up. in New York, and I know my frame of reference is not that great because there's I no wasn't sheep that much. in New York. But I'm just saying the idea that how horny all of these people are. It's I don't get it, man. I, you know, I grew up in the, you know, the town I grew up in was less than 400 people, and it seemed like every other fucking week there was a new story of someone getting molested or someone <laughs> getting caught getting molested. It's like, oh, he's at where is he? Oh, oh, he went to jail for molestation again. It's like, Ugh. <laughs> it's like for yeah. stealing a bike. Yeah, it's fucking awful, and it's about the most conservative Texas you could get. We would have a cow. We would have a cow fucker story. You know, about every 18 months, we would have. Oh one yeah, in there was Wisco. a dude that got caught fucking his sister twice. Yep. But this, when Arthur started fucking his sister, this is a weird story because again. If you are on Pornhub or whatever it is right now, if you want to fix your algorithm, I told you how to fix this the other night. Start automatically, start hard typing in big naturals into the search bar, (laughs) and it starts bumping the step family stuff down a little bit. Get some good old fashioned red blooded American big hearty naturals in there, and you will start, it starts to fix the porn searches for you. But he brings up the sister sex quite a bit because, Mm. according to him, she had a lot to say about this. She said that, th- that maybe that all this didn't happen, but they had a sexual relationship for a very long time, which did seem to be very uh, specific. Okay. Yeah. Well, he said he was then orally raped by an older man and afterward couldn't orgasm unless he stuck a finger up his own butt first. Sure. Now, as I said, it's hard to say whether all this is true or not, because Arthur Shawcross was a mean little bastard before this supposed spate of sexual deviance, and he was a mean little bastard afterward, eventually growing into something close to a psychotic Dennis the Menace. As a prank... Shawcross figured out how to fall off cliffs in front of other kids without hurting himself. Okay, th- this is where we're, that's the most normal thing so far. Yeah, and when the kids would run to get help, Arthur would already be home before them, and he would ask him what took so long in this weird duck voice that he used throughout his teens. What took you long? <laughs> what the hell? I mean, that is the only part. Uh, so far that I can relate to. It's kind of funny. You flip, you you you, you slip, you fall. Well, and we're like, I'm in pain, but you're not in pain. It's kind of nice. He's doing it old school ways. Technically, this is how the original stuntmen of Hollywood would do it. Yes. Where they would just gut it and hurt themselves. But you can see how he's setting like a bar for pain. Like he's doing the thing. I don't know if you've seen, um, what's his name? I think his name is Superhuman. There's a guy that goes like, Juggalos for life. He's this kind, like he's this yeah. little guy that like shouts out the juggalos and be like, "This is for my family." And then he'll like jump through a bunch oh, of fluorescent yes. lights and shit, a bunch and, like, of Legos up. and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. But I mean, he's at least monetizing it. Yeah. Where, 
<laughs> Arthur Shawcross like did this thing where he'd throw himself off the, which must have been just fucking hilarious of him with his huge head at the top of Cliff going, hey guys, hey guys, see what I can do. I'm a leaf. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so throws himself off the cliff. Oh, he could have been like Super Dave Osborne, but and you know uh, they didn't, didn't work out. You know they didn't run home to their parents. You know no. they were just like, all right, well, let's see if someone let's first finish Jacks. All right, guys. Absolutely. Arthur also had his own version of fun noises with the boys, wandering around the neighborhood by himself making nonsense sing-song sounds, or walking down the roads at night making loud, throaty, gurgling noises that woke the neighbors. Oh, the sounds of the Watertown turkey. I love fun noises with the boys. I love fun. <laughs> but you know, my mom used to hit me when she used to get really mad. And like, not when she used to hit me. That's not where the phys- the fever pitch of the hits would just used to come. But she always used to get real upset about me making noise for no reason. Oh. oh, you're just making noise for the sake of making noise. No, no, making fun noises. That was the first way that I've made the other kids in the my class laugh. So they wouldn't hit me anymore. Yep. Marcus was violently bullied. Your mother was technically <laughs> correct. Now I make a living doing it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I just put a roof on the house. Making noises for the sake of making noise. Were your parents just living in a shack, by the way? No, they Every just... Every week, I'm like, we just put walls on the house for the first time. How did you burrow for a living? No, you'll see. You have to replace everything. It's called owning a house. And also, they've just been waiting for this day. They've been waiting for the day that their children will start paying for everything. Well, you made a lot of weird noises. <laughs> well, speaking of how and where Shawcross walked, he always walked quickly while holding his body in a rigid position while overswinging his arms. But the overswinging his arms is a, uh, that's some kind of tell for a neurological problem. I forgot reading about that. There, there's something about that because it's him. It's something wrong with his equilibrium. He also took the straightest path possible to any destination, and it didn't matter if the path went through mud, barbed wire, or fucking swamps. And he'd get caught in the swamps all the time, and people would have to go help him out. This now, is- it wasn't the fastest path then, was it, Art? Because you <laughs> notice how the road doesn't get you caught in the swamp. No barbed wire. So, yes, maybe landmass-wise, it would be shorter. Please but quit have- lecturing me and get a vine. I somehow have found quicksand here in northern New York (laughs) And of course, Arthur would set fires wherever he went All this, plus continued violent behavior, earned Arthur the new nickname, Crazy Boy Okay And his reputation was only reinforced by the fact that Shawcross seemed incapable of interpreting any phrase as anything but literal For example, if someone said, liar, liar, pants on fire, Arthur would freak out thinking his pants were actually on fire. You're a wizard. You're a wizard. (laughs) You tripped my pants of flame and I didn't even feel the heat. I just feel the coldness on my knees. How do you do it? Get a hose. Get a hose. Wow. Okay. And anytime there was a misunderstanding like this, Arthur would violently lash out. Like when he found out his pants were not actually on fire, he'd beat the shit out of the kid who said liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, not for calling him a liar, but for confusing him. Uh, technically, that child who told him that was indeed the liar, wasn't he? <laughs> because the pants weren't on fire, were they? This is, uh, we're going to get a little bit of, we're seeing some defensiveness coming from Kissel. I'm not, no, first of all, I did relate a little bit to the walking of the fastest route. You do, that, are, you are like that. I do like to, you are like that. You just got to go. And I'm like, I'm so sick of all my friends being like, going so fast, your legs are so long. I- I'm born this way. 
I okay. We've tried to correct it for you. We've tried to correct. I you. am just walking, but he is a little bit like, like Michael Myers in that sense as well with the Rob Zombie journeyman Michael Myers. He just keeps moving forward, and it's a thing that he goes into his adulthood with this very strange thing. Again, just such a weird quirk that like he has to go in a straight line. Hmm. Yeah. When he built a fort and a kid said it looked dumb, Arthur beat the kid in the head with a brick of ice. And another time, he bit a kid's testicles. He's starting to get more and more violent. How did he get to the testicles? Yeah, I bet what it was. I bet the kid was trying to fart on his head. Something like that. And then what you do is you just grab the butt cheeks and then you just mash your face in the testicles and then start biting. There's like a whole thing there. There's a because he had a jerk off buddy at the time too. He had his buddy Mike. He used to make friends with a kid like because he became so sexually active so early, him and his buddy Mike used to they used to have sex with each other. They used to blow each other out in a field and he just got really used to it. So we feel like at some point his he's so used to honestly blowing other kids. That for him to just dive mouth first into like a crotch of jeans is just kind of like a, a default setting. Okay. That's intense, huh? You want that dick so bad, you just start going right through the fucking jeans. there, yeah. Then things got a little more serious. One day, he hit his female cousin in the shins with a baseball bat, then grabbed Ooh. an axe and told her he was going to chop her head off all while he was laughing and laughing. And he's like 11 years old at this point? I think at this point he's like 12 or 13. Jesus, okay. But when the cousin's boyfriend knocked away the axe and beat the shit out of Arthur, he just ran away crying the same imitation bleat of a sheep that he'd been doing since he was a toddler. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was much longer and much more pronounced than, like, they said it was like, I thought we were done with weird noises with the boys. I thought we were done with that. Fun Never noises. Done. Never yeah, fun noises with the boys. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was the animal mutilation. Shawcrosh would catch fish for the sole purpose of skinning off the scales to watch them suffer and die. And that was the least of his torture. He'd catch rabbits and snap their necks, flatten chipmunks with rocks, throw darts at frogs nailed to dartboards, drown cats in burlap sacks, and in an act that for some reason just makes my fucking skin crawl more than any other, he'd scrape the feathers off baby birds. Oh, Jesus. I think it's because it's so incredibly violent. It's not like just shooting squirrels with a BB gun or something like that. It's like you really have to do physical effort to scrape the feathers off of a baby bird. Yes, you do. I remember yeah. at Jordan Park in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, kids pulling the uh, pulling the claws off of little, uh, what do you call those little things? Crawfish. And I thought that was very mean. And it is. Traumatized mm-hmm. me forever. Yeah, I remember uh, a kid from out of town killed uh, a swan that was on a, a little pond in a nearby town called Stamford, and it was the scandal of the summer. Well, don't kill the swan! One time. Arthur even marched down the road with a dead snapping turtle on a stick that he'd run through from end to end, as if he was either proud of what he'd done or wanted to show everyone just how cruel he could be. Now, to be fair, a snapping turtle is a dangerous kind of turtle. They oh, snap, it's, and they it's will mess that. you up. Oh, yeah. I got bit by a snapping turtle one but, time. Well, that's because you weren't careful. You gotta be, it's yep. not the turtle's fault that you're getting close to him and getting into his space. It wow. is. It's wow. not Are the turtle's fault. Are you a turtle defense attorney? I am also <laughs> a turtle. I am also defending a, turtle a snapping defense turtle. turtle. Because yeah, it really, like you, I didn't know I was dealing with the turtle court. You <laughs> wandered into a turtle's territory. It was just yeah. in the lake I was swimming in. Yeah, that's his lake, not that's yours. That's where he lives. 
Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. Have you seen Pocahontas? No. <laughs> we don't own any of this land. We invented ownership. Wow. And deeds. I didn't know you guys went to turtle law school to defend all the turtles. <laughs> I had a turtle when I was a kid, but I fed I caught him and then I fed him nothing but cheese and he died. Yep. So you're the turtle murderer. Uh, this was whole good thing intentions, is a- though. That was good intentions. You fed it a bunch of cheese. They can't. They can't do it. I didn't know that. I was like eight. He just overmothered it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the horrible thing about Shawcross, or at least one of the most horrible things, it's a further horrible thing. Yeah. That he, like Otis Tool, was one of those weirdo, creepy, misfit kids with a disturbingly large penis. Yeah. <laughs> According to his mother, when Shawcross was five. A doctor told her that he already had the penis of a 16-year-old boy. And I brought the other doctors in to look at it. And we all sat here and I said, look at this adult's penis. And we all went and we measured it and we showed him a couple old pinup magazines. And I tell you what, when it comes down to it, I want to, I'd almost say that this penis is old enough to drink. I don't like, I don't like the doctors are referencing penis sizes. The first time I got a physical, I was horrified and I just left because the doctor was like, drop, try. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm leaving. I don't trust these doctors who are talking about penis size because you know that they're cataloging, oh, that's a 16-year-old size penis. These doctors' brains are disgusting, and I think we need to get rid of them. There's a lot of energy coming from you about this subject. <laughs> I, just I, think, I just don't think they should talk about it with anybody. I don't know. I would imagine that the mother probably saw the weird, gigantic penis that was on her five-year-old boy and took him to the doctor and said, is that fine? Is it? Should it look like that? And Why, he was just, forced to say, he was forced to gauge, say like, yeah, that's about a, that's about a 16 year older there. Oh yeah, my right God. There. Let, me just, right let there. me just pull out my measuring tape. Next thing you know, he's a tattoo of a measuring tape on his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> this is disgusting. I hate the doctor. I don't like, I mean, honestly, this is just not, everything is doomed for misery and failure at this point. Right. <laughs> and speaking of his mother. When she did have an interaction with Shawcross, it was only to make things worse. Shawcross used to tuck his pant legs into his socks for some fucking reason. And when his mother saw him doing it, she said, quote, You stupid son of a bitch! What the fuck's the matter with you? Don't you know how stupid you look? And since that was about the extent of the parenting he received, Arthur only got worse in school. In addition to being mean and violent, he was, as we said, also terribly fucking stupid to the point where he entered eighth grade at the age of 16 after being held back three times. Because I go on a limb here. I know some people are held back and it's got to do with other forms of undiagnosed learning disabilities. Totally. This type of thing. Or maybe you struggle in a classroom setting, whatever. But um, I'm going to go on a limb here and say Arthur Shawcross was just fucking stupid. I also don't necessarily think he should be around eighth graders at 16. (laughs) <laughs> Don't you at some point like be like, all right, we're just going to take you and put you someplace else. But at some point, you should still there. be with people his age. But you're with a bunch of eighth graders and you'd be like, hey, listen, you know, they told me and now at 16, I have the penis of a 44 year old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Which is weird because I feel like. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's, Georgie's like thinking about starting to lick her asshole. And then when she does that, she has to leave the room because it smells. <laughs> gotcha. It's very distracting. Save that, Travis. Save that, please. <laughs> And, and now Georgie is actually leaving the room. Wow. Okay. Yeah, she did. Wow. Yeah. Oh, um, God. Ah. 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 Okay, yeah. Save all of this. We honestly <laughs> should include some of this in a commercial. <laughs>
My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Now, he did try sports, but was kicked out of wrestling for throwing chairs and beating up his opponents after he won. That's not good. I mean, it was good for professional wrestling, I guess. Well, it sort of sounds like the Mike Tyson school of boxing, where he's just like, eat him up, Mike. Get him, Mikey. Never let him sleep, Mike. Don't let him sleep. Mike Tyson's still at it. And he was kicked off the track team after throwing elbows during foot races and hitting a teammate in the chest with a shot put. Technically, he should have just been an offensive lineman. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a bit of a roller derby kind of move. They said he did okay in football. He just had a hard time with the rules. 
Yes, yeah, it seems like that's one of the trends going here. Football's hard. It takes football memorization. You have to like have spatial reasoning. You have to figure out a bunch of shit when you are a football player. I Football is surprisingly difficult. But Shawcross eventually got creative with his cruelty. He'd ignite gunpowder on his desk with a magnifying glass during class. He mixed X-lax with fudge for a bake sale and even trained a little pet hamster to bite people's ankles and jump back in his pocket afterward. If those were the only three things that we had to say about Arthur Shaw, uh, Shawcross, you would just be hosting this show. You they? truly <laughs> would just be friends with him. Like you, you would be, do, like, if you can get the little mouse to jump back in your pocket, <laughs> be like, nah, nah. that's why I love Chihuahuas so much because they bite all your friends, and then your friends are like, "I hate that dog," and you're like, "I love that dog" because it draws blood on all your friends' ankles. Remember that when Gidget bit your toes? Marcus? Yeah, I remember that. It really fucking hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sucked. I mean, it's not having yeah, to go over his toes. Yeah. Gidget's yeah, got to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not so inventively, though. Arthur liked to yank seats out from under people as they were sitting down. And he improbably claimed that he could throw his farts just like a ventriloquist throws his voice. <laughs> I know it's, it does sound like a, a certain co-host of this show who says his shits don't smell. Yeah. And then when he goes to the bathroom who, inside of our studio, me? yes, I am, who says yeah. he can't smell his shits and he doesn't know why we think his shits smell. But yeah. I just think it's because you got little particles up in the tops of your nose and it sort of inoculates you yeah. against your own shit smell. I think it has to because your shits are the uh, the worst thing I've ever <laughs> smelled in my entire life. I am not I'm not exaggerating. I didn't know it was a tag Ben corner. Um, <laughs> what I do is I have little um, pine tree. Uh, air fresheners, I put them in my nose and then everything, <laughs> then I just smell like a nice taxi. So isn't that nice? I miss smelling a taxi at this point. Yes, indeed. Once Shawcross hit 17, though, he dropped out and became a legit criminal. Burgling houses, stealing boats, looting summer cabins, stealing money from gas stations, and habitually shoplifting. And all of the dudes that all used to blow each other by the river became the same like criminal team. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was hmm. like stand by me if it was directed by the like Todd Salons. Like <laughs> yeah. it was a group of mischievous boys that also just were licking each other's assholes every oh afternoon. My. <laughs> Welcome to Watertown. <laughs> Seriously. Welcome to Watertown. And the, the sound sling- slogan is our boys know each other very well. Oh my <laughs> Shawcross also became a peeping Tom, spying on neighbors specifically to watch married couples have sex. However, Shawcross put his own spin on it, finding the married couple's children afterward and telling the kids about their parents' sexual encounters in <sighs> detail. Come here, Billy. Come here. Let me tell no. you a story. Here, Billy, what? Let me tell you, right? So I was watching your parents go out. No. Listen. The way your father dressed your mother was one of the most simple, intimate, and loving things I've ever seen. The way he cared for her every need no. and caressed each God crevice of her body and, and serviced her. I knew then I, too, want to be a father. <laughs> Welcome to Watertown. <laughs> now, Shawcross might have just stayed a straight bastard all his life, just like the rest of his friends. Because there have been millions of stupid criminal miscreants throughout history who have never reached the realm of murder. But what seems to have pushed Shawcross from criminal cretin to vicious serial killer was a series of head injuries in childhood and adolescence that, as we all know, tend to exacerbate violent and antisocial behavior in some people. I think there's something to Shawcross having such an, a physically large head and his, he was stupid. 
He had a big, meaty fucking dome, and he had no regard for himself or anything else. I think it was like he led with his head a lot, like to the point where he was just proud of how much damage his head could take, it seemed like. How much (laughs) shit happened to him that made him more and more deformed each time? Yeah, he's a little bit like Juggernaut, if Juggernaut also had sex with all of his friends. <laughs> but he did not. He did not, to my knowledge. We don't know. We don't know what happened when the helmet came off. We don't know. <laughs> when Shawcross was just a child, he was hit in the head with a rock by a neighbor. Then when he was in high school, he was hit by a discus and spent four days in the hospital with a hairline fracture to the skull. Hmm. That was back in the day when the, they used to give kids like really heavy discuses and like javelins and shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. My grandfather, we had lawn darts. Lawn darts, the single mo- the the single worst toy that has ever been created. You could fucking you could kill a man. A lot yeah, of people with died. a lawn dart. Yeah. <laughs> After that, Shawcross was working construction when a fellow worker accidentally hit him in the head with a sledgehammer. And after that, he hit his head by falling off a 40-foot ladder. And even after that, he was put in the hospital after being hit by a truck. All stupid people fucking injuries. <laughs> it is. It's. It's just. There's one. There's one consistent thing, and that is him. You know, like it seems like he has something to do with all of this. One time, you get to get hit one time with a sledgehammer, but if you also get hit by a truck, you also fall over, get hit with a brick. It's starting to add up that you might be the problem. And when, it, according to Art, too, when he he's like. Not tell you what, when the, when the sledgehammer hit, I felt nothing. I saw a white light. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, things are just, honestly, never been right with me since. No kidding. It's like, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> of course not. But despite his antisocial behavior and overall stupidity, Shawcross managed to get not one wife, but four. Welcome to Watertown. <laughs> <laughs> Our boys know each other really well, and we'll give you a wife. Wow. <laughs> His first wife, Sarah Chatterton, was found at the family bargain center, where Shawcross had managed to get a job working in the stockroom. Was she a frickin' Cenobite? (laughs) She was fired, however, for telling a woman who asked for a 44D bra that if she wanted something that big, she'd have to go to Syracuse. Ah, yes, Syracuse, the land of big naturals. (laughs) I don't even get it, but okay. I was like, no, we don't sell nothing that big because Syracuse was the nearest big town. To Watertown, yes. to Waterton. They're like, yeah, if you want some net, we don't carry nothing like that here, lady. Wow. He's trying to make a joke. Technically, though. He thought he was very funny. He did, really did. He thought he was funny and clever, and he made little jokes that even in the beginning of Arthur Shawcross, the Genesee River Killer, with Dr. Joel Norris would talk about how, like, he often made jokes that didn't land, which is the sign of someone with a personality disorder. And I was like, <laughs> what about me? <laughs> what about That's 30% of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But when Shawcross was fired, Sarah quit in solidarity, and they married in September of 1964. Yeah, she ain't no scab. No, she's not. (laughs) And predictably, Shawcross was a fucking awful husband and spent most of his time down at the local diner playing pinball, flirting with the servers, and just eating cheeseburger after cheeseburger. Again, sounds real happy days. But it is not. It's not. No, no. no. Well, after being fired from the bargain center, Shawcross got a job at a dairy where he would steal 50-pound blocks of butter to use (laughs) in gallon-sized creamsicles that he'd eat with a spoon while driving around in his car. 
car. <laughs> just, trying to, just trying to relax. I got my bucket of butter. It's real hot outside, though. That's going to melt pretty quick. So. Yeah, that's why you got to eat it quick. You have to eat it. You're going to eat You're going to eat a gallon of cream really quick here. Oh, this is a second gallon of cream. That's the second gallon of cream. Okay. Well, he had a 50-pound block at home. That he's just scooping pounds Unless and pounds. You, are, you better be fucking carving a, a statue of Mother Teresa in butter <laughs> if you are going to have that much butter. But it's like that, that saying. Mother Teresa, by the way, a scam, but we it, know that. But that's yeah. like a very famous saying, like, you know, oh, why go out for butter when I got 50 gallons of butter at home? <laughs> I have that bumper <laughs> sticker, yeah. Well, by 1965, Shawcross and Sarah had a kid. But divorce was coming soon. In 1966, she took her child and left. And Shawcross, having gotten fired from the dairy job, got hired as a packer at a cottage cheese factory. Oh yeah. What is he? What he just dairy is his game, huh? Well, it's dairy. The, that's the agriculture business upstate. Is okay. all dairy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. He was in the milk business, my okay. friend. All right. <laughs> and the milk business. Yeah. It harbors a lot of ex-cons sure. and a lot of different Nothing people. Nothing wrong who with that. Because yeah. milk don't judge. Milk yeah. doesn't. Well, it does though. <laughs> but lack, I'm I mean, lactose. You're the one who told me you had you had unpasteurized milk recently, and you shat eighty pounds. Well, I haven't had it recently, but I've had it, and it is amazing how a milkshake just comes out the cow. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, while he worked at the cottage cheese factory, he started dating the woman who would become his second wife. Linda Neary, who quickly found out that Arthur Shawcross was an absolute misfit of the highest order. He'd constantly talk about his mother, saying that no matter how much he loved her, he never got her approval. And he also refused to drive anywhere anymore after a classmate was killed in a car accident. And as such, Arthur would walk or bike everywhere, sometimes riding 20 miles from Watertown to Clayton, New York, to engage in what will become his favorite hobby and his gateway to serial killing, Fishing. <laughs> Just him with a gallon of fucking cream on his bicycle. Is it safe to say that this makes Arthur Shawcross the John Madden of serial killers? Well, John Madden. Yes, indeed. Perhaps. Although John Madden didn't fly. He, would, he, he drove everywhere. Specific like travel appointments. He has to yeah. do something very specific to get anywhere. But despite the psychotic behavior, the criminal behavior, the head injuries, and the fact that he never graduated from high school, Arthur Shawcross was deemed fit for the draft. And in 1967, he was sent to Vietnam. <laughs> so now we're going to. If he was the only one sent to Vietnam, I would agree with the draft. They are now <laughs> sending him to fight for fight with their boys across the seas. Would you just, all you have to be is. I guess at the time was willing to die. Yeah. yeah. And he was. But after boot camp, Shawcross returned home and married Linda, and he celebrated their union by taking his wife on a six-hour fishing trip that very same day. Oh, how exciting. Where he confessed his criminal background to his new, now-trapped wife. Now, the question you're probably asking is, how did Arthur Shawcross... A serial killer who murdered 13 people, including two children. Mm. How is he able to convince four women to marry him? I think the answer is simple. Arthur Shawcross was a liar. 
Oh, oh, I thought you were going to reference the, the dinosaur dong that he has. No, because it hardly worked. We're going to get <laughs> oh, into that, okay. too. But yeah. Arthur Shawcross, we had an interesting discussion about mm-hmm. why women could possibly be attracted to Arthur Shawcross. Because Arthur Shawcross is firmly in the unfuckable serial killer category, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't have a lot of groupies. It takes a specific woman. To fall in love with an Arthur Shawcross. But you said this to me. Marcus's big theory originally wasn't just that he's a liar, but that some women just like big galoots. They love big galoots. They just, some girls. I remember I had a friend that said the same thing where she said, I only date, I only date ugly guys. And there's something about just a guy just being present. That's enough for some people. Yeah. They just sit, you know where they are. I mean, there's something about that, I guess. Well, Arthur's big trap is that he could put forth a sweet and gentle facade at first to trick unsuspecting women into believing that he was just misunderstood Mm. and that it was all everyone else's fault that his life was a bowl of shit. It's not my fault. This is I'm just misunderstood. When do you think he uh, told them that he can throw his farts? I don't know why I'm so (laughs) held on that. Because it's, it would be his cutest skill. It would if it be. is indeed real. But I do, again, that's one of those. If you, you know, I'm going to reference to show marriage at first sight. If mm-hmm. you both say yes to I'd love a man or I'd love a woman that could ventriloquize their own farts, um, then you'd be married. Then you're married. Yeah, absolutely. But people in Sean Cross's life did try to warn Linda, although they only did it after she'd married him. Ah. Ex-wife Sarah called to tell her that Arthur was violent and that she still feared for her life and the life of her son. Even Arthur's mother, Betty, told Linda that Arthur was, quote, the bane of her life and kept telling her over and over that there was something wrong with her son's brain. Jeez. But Linda chose not to believe either one of them and waited at home for Arthur to return from Vietnam. Well, Arthur also got her with the line, he's like, I don't love you, but I'm going to get a stipend from the government. And she was what? like, that's like how they their relationship started, just basically <sighs> being like, you can get my money when yeah. I'm in Vietnam. She's a victim as well in this in some ways. Yes. But she was also co-conspirator in what seems to be a government scam then also. No, not necessarily. Technically, it was just... it would. But be- she didn't get married for love. She got married for the government stipend that was... Very inadequate. She liked him. But yeah, I mean, she, yeah, she liked him. Okay. Man, money's worth it. Money sometimes better than love. Not the government stipend you get after being drafted to Vietnam but if you're divorcing Jeff Bezos. You see, I feel like you're. <laughs> this is a narrow-minded view. You get a new husband, so you don't have to worry about having a husband anymore in the 1960s, and then he's gone. And you don't have to see him. And then he might I die. I all of that. I mean, honestly, the best thing that ever could have happened to us if, if he would have died. The vehicle yes. could have gotten one, and mm-hmm. I would have been fine with that. Well, the problem is that he didn't see combat. No. Oh, he didn't. Now, Arthur's time in Vietnam might be one of the things all you listeners have heard about Shawcross. Specifically, that he was the only serial killer that we know of who saw any action in Vietnam. And that he'd, in fact, began his career as a serial killer in country. There was a lot of guys who were in, quote-unquote, in Vietnam, but never actually saw combat. There was Berkowitz, uh, Leonard Lake, uh, Dennis Rader. They were all placed somewhere else, usually working in radar, strangely enough. Yes, a lot of them working at desk jobs in Vietnam, and all of them were the same type of dude that is the only people who actually show up to a swingers party. It's (laughs) never, those are the four men that arrive. It is never... Like, you're not going to see uh, Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong no, showing not. up to a, swing, a swingers party. No, you're not. Well, according to Arthur, he killed 
39 people in Vietnam and did so completely on his own, sneaking off base by himself to wage a one-man war of brutal murder and torture against both the NVA and the civilians stuck in the middle. He said that he was the ghost of the jungle who would tie 16-year-old girls to trees and hack them to pieces while making another 16-year-old girl watch. Then he'd cut off both their heads and mount them on poles at the entrances of villages. So he's a war criminal, even though he didn't actually do any of that. But that's his fantasy. It's just being a war criminal. We're going to get into why. Like, I I think that there's a distinct reason why he lies like this. And he told these stories to whoever would listen. One time he told his young cousin about how he was having sex with a Vietnamese girl, then blew her brains out as he had an orgasm. And he told the whole story while giggling in that weird duck voice. But as I'm sure most of our military veteran listeners know... The man who constantly tells stories about all the fucked up things he did and all the fucked Mm -hmm. up things he saw during the war most likely never did or saw any of the things he claimed. You know, Miguel Ramirez aside. It's always the uh, just don't just don't ask Tim about the war. He, he, uh, I don't talk about the war. Those are Those people, are the stories that yeah. you do want to hear. My uncle was lost in the jungle for two years, and they didn't know what and happened. that was in 1987. Yeah, that, was different. <laughs> yeah, that was in Costa Rica. He was a roadie for ACDC. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But he, you know, that idea of, like, he was haunted by the things that happened to him, and he did not want to bring it back. He tried to leave it behind. He tried to leave it behind and destroyed his whole life. Arthur Strawcross, this is the only place where we really see him be effusive with details, is the, are these fake stories uh, and in my mind after the fact of all of this it's about a fantasy of what he wished he could have done with the quote-unquote freedom of being in vietnam well arthur shawcross was actually a fucking supply clerk and got no closer to combat than handing out uniforms to the soldiers who were actually going out into the shit now he might have snuck out a time or two maybe but it is highly unlikely Part of the reason why I don't think he did any of what he did is in how he tells the stories. See, Arthur did a lot of interviews before he died, as we've mentioned. And when he's talking about his actual murder victims, he's short and curt, as if he's too busy living in the memory to tell the story with any detail. He also... He parses out details of his crimes to what he views. He, you have to pass a quote unquote like threshold of trust with him, and then he'll tell you all the dirty details of the things that he actually did. But the Vietnam shit, it rolls out off the tongue yeah. immediately, and it's very extensive, very very detailed versions of highly fucked up crimes. Well, when he's talking about his experiences in Vietnam, he's spinning a yarn. You know, he becomes animated. He's fucking, he's gleeful. It's like he's fucking telling stories about all the crazy hijinks he and his frat buddies got up to at fucking Sigma Chi. Right. But most of his stories, I mean, when you listen to them, they've got this like, they've got a very childish quality to them, like a B-movie quality. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that comes from pure fantasy. He said he once saw a bunch of guys kill a woman by shoving a fire hose in her vagina and turning it on. And he said another time he saw dudes split a woman in two using nothing more than a razor blade. And another time he said he captured a female combatant, tied her to a tree, and cut pieces off her hip and cooked and ate them in front of her before leaving her to die on an anthill because, as he said, quote, I was just in the mood, that's all. But he, Is he, he the freaking clown from Terrifier? What is going on? <laughs> also, it's like, Art, all of your stories seem to have one common thread. Women seem to die? 
But it's interesting how these fantasies were conscripted after he did all of his crimes that featured a lot of this activity. So he managed to take his state-specific memories from his actual crimes, project them into Vietnam, into a place where I think that he almost longed to go back. Like this idea of the lawlessness of Vietnam and the things that he wished that he could have done and could have gotten away with it. So weirdly, he created a blueprint of what he would do later on for the, and project it back. Mm, yeah. It's like he heard of it when he heard about like me lie. He's like, Oh man, why didn't I didn't get to do nothing cool in Vietnam? Like me lie. That but sucks. You know, but art, but art without clothes, soldiers can't go into battle. Can they? <laughs> so when you give them the clothes, <laughs> you're actually doing a lot of good <sighs> stuff for the United States government. And you are also, you're like a warrior, aren't you? Art, remember, think of this like the gap upsell that's why we have the <laughs> uniforms but anytime you ask them make sure you move the lip glosses we move have so the many lip of gloss. them yes seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s with new chapters added every week the excitement never ends Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. He also concocted stories about other servicemen that were most likely his own fantasies of what he'd like to do to the soldiers who probably gave him shit day in, day out on the base. He said once when he was on patrol, quote unquote patrol, he came across three green berets tied to trees and skinned from neck to ankles with their eyelids and lips cut off, covered in mosquitoes and still alive saying, kill me, kill me, over and over again. It's a sweet death metal album cover, yeah. but that's impossible. That's right. not going to happen. In another tall tale, he said he witnessed a major's penis get split down the middle, quote, like a banana, after one pump with a Viet Cong sex worker who had somehow hit a razor blade up inside her vagina. She wasn't doing a lot of, quote unquote, sex work. I think she might have been forced to do that. Could be. I don't think she was on payroll. I don't think even in the fantasy. Even in the fantasy. You can't do it. It's not the movie Seven. But perhaps the most damning evidence of all when it comes to Arthur's Vietnam stories is that when he was asked to recall the identity of a single person he served with, he couldn't come up with a single name. But he does a lot. He has a lot of memory problems. And he also specifically cuts things out. They say that Arthur Shawcross, of all of the serial killers that we have covered, had a specific power of denial. Same thing closer to a John Wayne Gacy, where he can just cut certain things out and never deal with but them John in any Wayne way, Gacy shape, or form. John Wayne Gacy is like a linguistic mastermind compared to this guy. You know, John Wayne Gacy, that's the reason why, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Of clowning. Yes. Of clowning. Unfortunately, and I wish that, I feel like that should be taken back. I agree. They wouldn't even put Benoit in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He, didn't, he killed his own kid, which is very bad, very sad, very sad, and wife. Yeah. Go listen to our Chris Benoit episode for more information about that. But no matter what happened over in Vietnam, Shawcross came back to his marriage a changed man, although this probably had more to do with his pattern of giving up the sweet facade after marriage than any sort of war-induced PTSD. 
Because that, that became kind of fashionable at the time. It's like if Vietnam War, he's like, if you came back from Vietnam, you sort of had some of the guys, you know, did have very, very legitimate PTSD. Yeah. But other guys like him and Miguel Ramirez, uh, Richard Ramirez's uncle, they used it as kind of, they, they cheated the system. They used it as kind of like a pass card. It's like, oh, I have PTSD. I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Right. It's also just Shawcross never had an he didn't have an honest bone in him. He was no. never did a single thing for a pure reason. He never did anything uh, altruistically. Every single thing that he did was a game. So even this is a further game. This show he according to this book, according to the Genesee River Killer, Shawcross essentially forgot he had a wife when he came back. <laughs> he went home immediately. He he gotten some kind of injury, but he pretended that he had gotten shot, and then he. He was with his mom, and at one point, he's just sleeping at home, and it was three days after returning from Vietnam, and his mom came in and was like, don't you want to go see your wife? And he was like, oh, I forgot I had one. And what? then he had to go find her again, because she truly was like, I thought you might have died. When Strakos got back, he was sullen, brooding, and depressed, and one night almost broke his wife's jaw while supposedly asleep. During sex, he'd either ejaculate too fast or couldn't get an erection at all, and usually just wanted to be held like a little boy. You know, it yeah. takes all kinds. <laughs> I don't. Yes, like you stop is... jerking off to step family porn. Yeah, <laughs> you I just got to stop doing it. You just got to remember this is what you sound and look like. This, this is what it really is. Like to be wife. cradled like a little boy, and him going, "Mommy, oh mommy, oh." Mommy. That's look at Arthur Shawcross, and then look in the mirror. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be cuddling, it's very good. I like it's just cuddling. Don't, it's not, yeah. It's yep. playing with a noodle-like eight-inch penis that you can't do anything with. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. This woman is going through a lot. Yeah. Some people say a honeymoon. I'd call it a sour moon. It sounds mm. like it. Yes, indeed. Well, Shawcross also became obsessed with fire and would sit lighting match after match until the whole box was gone. And all this was paired with horrific mood swings, which eventually landed Shawcross in a psychiatrist's office. After just a few visits, the psychiatrist recommended commitment to Linda, adding, quote, You're going to want to keep him away from fire. I don't want to discourage you, but uh, this is the way he gets his sexual enjoyment. <laughs> so, what? That was a direct quote. They're like, oh, I don't want to discourage you, but that's how he gets the sexual enjoyment. So, commitment's good. Well, that's a great thing. I got this big cartoonishly large match. <laughs> and he just puts a wedding veil on it in a dress. And he's oh. like, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda didn't think she had the right to commit her husband. So she went to Arthur's parents to see what they thought. And his father was all for it. But Betty, contrary to her previous opinions, screamed that there was nothing wrong with her son. So Arthur escaped mental health treatment Hmm. and, of course, only got worse. After the paper mill where Arthur worked was shut down due to a quote-unquote mysterious fire, Shawcross claimed to have gotten a commendation for saving people by, quote-unquote, discovering the fire. Because Shawcross was the one who started it. See how that works. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Billy Joel, think about that history in that song. But that was that was about a human species not starting a a figurative fire. Yeah, he started a literal fire, and he did do that. I remember that. But the final straw for Linda came when Shawcross flipped out and beat her until she blacked out, all while she was four months pregnant. She miscarried 
and demanded a divorce after getting out of the hospital. After that, Shawcross moved in with a friend in Lafargeville and spiraled into further criminality. Lafargeville? <laughs> yeah. Lafarge? La- Lafargeville. Like the cop that was made fun of in, uh, in what was that? Uh, it, oh, my God. I think it's Super Wayne's Troopers? World. Uh, Maybe World? Super Troopers. Farva. No, that's Farva. Yeah, yeah, it's completely no, it's different. No, Lafarge. No, I think that's, that might be Wayne's World. Anyway, why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing here? I just feel like your English teacher in high school. <laughs> I don't know. No, I get it. All right, Lafargeville. Welcome yeah. to Lafargeville. I got yeah. it now. Yeah. He assisted two men in stealing $400 from a gas station. He burned down a barn and he set fire to the milk plant in Crowley, ending oh. his career in the milk business forever. Damn. You can't go burning down a milk plant. Oh, that must have had an odor to it. Very intriguing. <laughs> I just feel bad for all that wasted milk. I know. It's horrible. Because I'd be running over there trying to get all the milk that was left, trying mm. to get all, get my Dixie <laughs> cups filled with milk, my family in a big old chain, scooping the milk, scooping the milk, bringing it back home. Just saying, remember, folks, I know this milk's going to go bad, but now we got a lot of it, so we keep drinking it, kids. Drink it up. Get some Cinnamon Life. Ooh, I love Cinnamon Life cereal. Well, upon his inevitable arrest for all these crimes, he claimed voices told told him to, at the very least, burn the barn down, and he blamed everything on his wife leaving him. So what are, are the cops supposed to go with imaginary handcuffs and arrest the voices? What are they supposed to do? <laughs> well, he tried early on to be like, I'm crazy. He, yeah. This is a pattern he's going to do where he thinks he can get out of it, but he's also... He is a, a liar. You said good liar, but I'm not going to say a good liar. I think he is a liar. Right. No, I didn't say he was a good liar. Yeah, yeah he's just a liar, and yeah. he's not great at it you can't be a good liar you just keep on lying 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 but it's impossible well a jury didn't give a shit and Shawcross was sentenced to five years in attica psychiatric evaluations while in prison pegged arthur with a schizoid personality type who needed constant supervision in a mental hospital and his personality type also suggested that he was a quote very high risk for homicidal behavior damn and despite this Arthur Shawcross was released back into the community on October 18th, 1971, 22 months into his sentence. You might want to write the very high risk for homicidal behavior in bold, maybe circle it, (laughs) maybe get a little, maybe get a highlighter on that. Mm -hmm. And the prediction of homicidal behavior would come true twice in the coming year. Damn. But of course, Arthur was able to hook another wife in the meantime. I don't know if this is a but of course situation. I think the sentence should be, but shockingly and batshit insane. He just got better at having wives. I guess. Well, he ran into Penny Sherbino outside of J.C. Penny after uh, being released from jail. Or and even R.I.P. J.C. Penny. And even though Penny remembered Shawcross as the violent weirdo dropout from high school, he'd seemed to change. And this might give you a little bit of insight into what women did see in Arthur Shawcross and why I kind of think like him being a glute didn't hurt. Penny thought that Arthur was good looking. Six feet tall with a barrel chest, a pleasant demeanor, and what she called a sly sense of humor. She thought he was funny. Well, it's just I feel like... I feel like you get the fish you get with the bait you use. Okay. <laughs> and Arthur yeah. Shawcross had a very specific bait. Yeah. And certain types of fish, I'm going to say called women fish in this scenario. Maybe a carp, and he's the bread because it's very unique. Carps love bread. Yeah, and, and so catfish will, yeah. will latch onto a human penis. 
<laughs> that's how you're catfishing. Yeah. Well, by the fifth date, Penny was pregnant with Shawcross's child, and he moved in with her and her two existing children. Now, the weird and unpredictable behavior started soon after he moved in, but the flavor was a little more threatening and external, like the time he left a bouquet of flowers on his neighbor's doorstep with a note that said, These are for your grave. Well, uh, how long do they plan on lasting? They're yeah. plastic. They're plastic. They're plastic. They, will, they will hopefully last until you die a happy death in your 90s. Jeez. I just planned it. That's nice. Thank you. It's morbid, but I just like everyone to have a nice funeral. I think all funerals are fun. No, like, I, was, I laugh a lot yeah. when I go to them. I was super scared I had a serial killer for a neighbor, but you're just a friendly old grandpa. I'm like you? a nanny for your corpse. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. But more alarming was how Shawcross was beginning to act towards children. Specifically, Shawcross favored little blonde boys and would roughhouse with the kids to the point of physical injury. Shawcross's violence continued to escalate and became more bizarre, like the time he threw a kid into a burning barrel of trash or the time he got reported to the police for spanking a six-year-old and stuffing handfuls of grass down the boy's pants. What the? Ugh. I think that he became, they were very vulnerable. And yeah. like most serial killers, they don't go for a target that is going to be difficult for them to handle in any way, shape, or form because they don't want their power challenge. It's all about right. power games. So when it comes to kids, like he obviously had pedophilic tendencies, like, and he, but he is one of them. We'll, we'll cover this because it's very rare for a serial killer to move from children to adults. So that's yeah. why to me, it's way more about the fact that they are highly vulnerable. And he can do whatever he wants to them physically, and they can't get back at him. But that was his whole, that was really his victim type. Like, when you talk about a victim type, his victim type was vulnerable. Because his first victims were children, and his later victims were all sex workers. So he always went after the most, because he eventually figured out that children cause too much heat. You know, when you kill children, you get caught. But if you kill sex workers, you can kill as many as you want, and the cops aren't going to fucking care. Damn. At least not until they start piling up. Yeah. Right. Well, it all came to a head with Jack Blake. Jack Blake was 10 years old in 1972, and Arthur Shawcross had approached him to go fishing, which was an offer Jack eagerly accepted because fishing was his favorite thing to do. Now, after Jack's mother, Mary, found out that a strange man was taking his son off fishing without consulting her, she told Arthur to stay away. But Arthur persisted and snuck off with Jack and another boy on a regular basis. Well, on one trip, Shawcross took the boys to the market to buy bacon, then dragged them along to Marzano's gravel pit to cook it over a fire. There, he told them all his horrific Vietnam stories in detail and showed them porno mags, which is all classic grooming behavior. Yeah. Yeah. What finally scared the boys off, though, was when they were with Arthur walking near the quarry. Jack ran ahead, and when he didn't stop after Arthur called after him, Shawcross grabbed the other boy and dangled him over the edge of the quarry wall, threatening to drop him to his death if Jack didn't come back. Technically, that would be moved from like a John Candy comedy from the 1980s. But when it's real, <laughs> it's not. It's good. actually very scary. Very bad. It's very scary. And when Jack did come back, Shawcross put the other little boy down and just laughed and laughed 
and the boys ran away terrified of Arthur Shawcross from then on. Mm. Uh, As he's like, oh, come on, boys. I was just joking. Where are you going? I was just joking. He's a fucking psycho. Yes, he is. Yes. Soon after, though, on April 7th, 1972, Arthur Shawcross murdered 10-year-old Jack Blake, although most of the details are unknown because, like Ted Bundy, Shawcross never liked talking about the children he killed. Because there's no justification. Oh, there is none. And he tried to justify all of his murders later on. He would create up all of these elaborate reasons, which we'll get into next episode. But this one obviously shook him to his own core of what he was capable of and didn't know how to process it. And then Mm. I think there was also a little bit of his own fucked up version of PTSD from how he was treated in jail after these crimes. Yeah, he Mm should have gotten his ass kicked. He did. Yeah, he did. Well, I mean, it, it's pretty It's pretty common. You know, a lot of, like, the big serial killers that we all know, like, a lot of their first victims were children. Ted Bundy's first victim was a little girl. Richard Ramirez, his first victim was a little girl. And they never, ever liked talking about it. Because with any other victim they had, they could justify it in some way. Or at right. the very least, they could make people feel weird talking about it, you know. But with a child killing a child there's you can't have no one no sane person is going to ever say like okay that i understand what you're saying there right, i understand right. where you're coming from yeah absolutely unless of course that child is no child at all but they suffer from proportional dwarfism <laughs> you have adopted said child and they are trying to have sex with your husband that's and kill your child that's different that's self-defense that's against self-defense. A, a villainous orphan and yes. i think all villainous orphans should be held into a very different that's standard different. That's different, yeah. (laughs) Uh, From what Shawcross said, he didn't want Jack hanging around anymore, and yet the boy persisted in following him around. Oh, yeah, you know how all the 10-year-old boys love to hang out with the town freak? I mean, (laughs) it's weird. They they, Up to a point, they did. They did. And then he scared them half to death, but then Jack was still coming around. Well, from what Arthur said, Jack eventually followed Arthur into the woods, where Arthur lost his temper and hit the boy hard in the head. Arthur said, realizing that he would be sent back to prison, he then strangled the boy to death to hide his crime and left the body in the woods. In later journals, Shawcross said he returned to the body again and again, apologizing to the corpse until there was nothing left but bones. That's one version of the story. (sighs) But in another journal, Shawcross admitted to something far, far worse although we don't know if this is true or not because Jack Blake's body wasn't discovered until all the flesh was long past decomposed. Shawcross wrote that in the days after the murder, he returned to the body, cut parts away, and ate them raw, including the penis, testicles, and heart. He then claimed to have had sex with the body, then left it there to rot amongst the trees. And I think it's interesting. I think that there there might be there's something in between here that might be real because yeah. he won't talk about the child murders ever again. No. Past the beginning when he is first caught. He will never speak about them on record again. He finally decided that, oh, I don't talk about that anymore because even his shifting story became something that he couldn't understand. So mm. we know for a fact he he loved to visit bodies after the fact. And we <sighs> know for a fact that he committed cannibalism several times later on 
in his uh, sex worker murders. So I think that there's a there's a thread here that he might have at least tried it. Yeah. When he was in blocked in this process, because, again, maybe he was having all of the reason why those situational fantasies about Vietnam were so fleshed out and so important to him later on was that maybe he was having those fantasies while he was in Vietnam. And Mm. then a part of the reason why he doesn't remember a lot of people is that truly he was vacant in a fantasy world that entire time that he was overseas and heard stories. Maybe he'd heard stories about people saying these types of things. And maybe he did see some sex workers when he was in Vietnam and sort of made these stories up, extrapolated them. And now he finally gave into his like, cause he always had a problem with impulse control. That's what the fires were. That's where all the stealing was. So there, there's something about this where I think he finally just like gave in. To mm-hmm. his worst self. Mm, definitely possible. Well, meanwhile, the police were of no help whatsoever and seemed to barely care that a 10-year-old boy had mysteriously gone missing. Even though Jack's mother, Mary Blake, told them right off that a weird guy named Arthur Shawcross had shown an almost obsessive interest in her son, they didn't really care. Instead, because the Blake family was known to be a somewhat rough grouping of people, they immediately suspected her and focused what little investigative effort they could muster on pinning the murder to Mary. In their estimation, Shawcross's background was an arson, which somehow precluded him from child murder. (laughs) And their investigative efforts, half-ass at best, ended after only two weeks. That's like someone being like, oh, Steve Nash, he plays basketball. No way he can play soccer. It's like, yeah, he's an athlete. He's an athlete. Like, they can do multiple things. But also, there is the thing, too, at the time where they considered poor kids to, they just run away. That whole yeah. thing that they always said, same thing with, remember Dean Coral? Oh, yeah. All of that shit, which is, it's just, oh, they run away. You know yeah, these 10-year-olds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always go hitching. Good <laughs> yeah, because the Blake family was huge. You know, they were they were there was a lot of them. Uh, they were poor. They were always in trouble with the law. So, you know, the, the cops are like, well, if anybody did it, it was Mary. But we're also not going to put that much effort into it at all. And after two weeks, boom, nothing. And because the cops were lazy and uncaring, Arthur Shawcross murdered another child just a few months later in Watertown, this time killing eight year old Karen Hill. Again, the particulars of the case are muddled, but police think that Shawcross decided to murder Karen Hill almost on a whim. On the day of the murder, Shawcross rode his bike down Huntington Street in Watertown to a bridge where he left his 10-speed bike leaning on a fence. I had heard one story that he had said was that he had spotted her once and she reminded him so much of his sister Mm -hmm. when he was that age and that he projected that onto her. That it became, then I, I, I don't, because, you know, again, it's coming from his mouth, so I don't believe him but you know, fucking at all. That is also why auditions are so hard, because you never know when you're going to remind someone of their next husband or an ex-wife, <laughs> and then you're, that just is a good out, you're just out immediately. That is a really good lesson to, to take no from To no fault this. of your own. Yeah, I to think no so. To no fault of your own. Well, Shawcross then hid under the bridge like a troll and lured his eight-year-old victim underneath as she walked past. Once she was out of sight to anyone but Arthur, he punched her in the face and stomach, then strangled her to death with her own shirt. He then raped her so viciously her skin split, then stuffed her mouth with mud, 
wet leaves, and grass. Once finished, he covered the body in rocks but left the head visible. And that's how she was found the next morning. He learned how to do that with the uh, animal mutilations that he did. That became a thing that he would start to do, is that when he killed animals in order to keep them quiet, he would shove mud and leaves in their mouths. Because I guess that's also what the farmer that taught him how to have sex with sheep... This is a fun episode. I love that we're recording this. I don't like it. I love recording this on 9-11. It's really fun. But he would go and the the farmer taught him that's how you keep a sheep quiet while you're having sex with it. Oh, right. Good yeah. lord. And it, it's fucking awful, but yeah, I mean, he took these awful lessons that he learned from these awful people throughout his life, uh, and he applied them uh, to murder. Horrible. Now, this time, the body had been found quickly, so the investigation was much easier, and therefore the Watertown cops didn't have to work all that hard to find Arthur Shawcross. Otherwise, they might not have ever fucking found him. The police department's bloodhound, Corporal Redstone, who Aww. sounds like a very good boy, he despite does. his association with such incompetent fucking officers. Well, he was competent, though. He was. He immediately picked up the trail from the murder site and led cops directly to Shawcross's apartment door. Holy and shit, I, where... just did, I just did this mission on Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the story ends, and Arthur Shawcross is arrested, and he's put in prison for the rest of his life, and yep. 11 other people aren't dead? Yeah, mm-hmm. now, and that's why we're all members of the U.S. Olympic team basketball. Oh, And that's why we went on to win several gold medals. And now we're on tour with our rock group, The Last Podcast Boys. And all we do is we won Oscars for best songs last year. Remember that? I love that one. Wibbly wobbly goes the bat. I love that one. (laughs) Witnesses had also seen Shawcross hanging around the bridge that day. They'd also seen his bike propped up against the fence. And the cops finally remembered Shawcross being reported for stuffing grass down a little boy's pants, which mirrored the grass stuffed in Karen's mouth. You have it sounds like there is one problem in this town. It's Arthur Shawcross. Just arrest this man. It's not a big town. It's a town of 25,000 people. That's it. Just arrest this guy. It's hard because it's uh, not hard because Hello? the problem is you're under arrest. Wait, what do you do? He <laughs> how hard it is to cast a new town pervert. <laughs> we just lost maybe, our last one. How are we supposed to find another one? We maybe need you just one. cancel the series. Maybe you just cancel the town pervert for a while. But then next thing you know, it gets picked up by Peacock. I know. I love, yes, Peacock. Yes. Well, pretty soon, Shawcross had half confessed to the murder of Karen Hill. And when Jack Blake's body was finally found after the murder of Karen Hill, even though Jack Blake had been killed in April, Shawcross kind of, sort of admitted his involvement in that as well. You said, oh yeah, literally he said, I might have done that. You might have done that. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. But in a case of gross injustice that, again, sounds like pure fucking laziness, the district attorney decided to give Arthur Shawcross a plea deal of 25 years for manslaughter in the death of Karen Hill if he admitted to killing Jack Blake as well. Think about this. He did the same level of crime as Albert Fish. He did the same level. Like, he just did... These are two Albert Fish moves that he just did, which Albert Fish is known as one of the worst boogeymen in U.S. I mean, world world. history. World history. And that's just a part of his crimes. And he just got, like, essentially a slap on the wrist for doing... Surreal, true. I mean, we're that's why he is a heavy hitter. Like, right, heinous crimes, and yeah. it's I don't know how that happens. Well, in the DA's estimation, Shawcross's confession to the murder of Karen Hill was weak, 
and the evidence linking Shawcross to the Blake murder was circumstantial. So rather than risk an acquittal or honestly, I think because the DA didn't really fucking feel like prosecuting a difficult case, Shawcross was sentenced to 25 years for two brutal child murders that included both rape and cannibalism. That's every stripe on the serial killer flag. That's every one of them. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, Before Shawcross took the plea, he'd played the part of the PTSD-addled Vietnam vet, a mentally scarred mess who'd killed because the voices had told him to do so. And that's partly how the 25-year sentence got sold. You know, it's like, well, he's he is mentally ill. He's not, you know, he's not criminally insane, per se. Like, he knew the difference between right and wrong, but he's mentally ill. So, yeah, 25, 25 years in prison, that'll straighten him out. And you know what's great yeah, about prison? that's what happens in prison. It yeah. makes you more normal. <laughs> it always, because yeah. their focus is always rehabilitation. Of course. Yeah. But when Shawcross returned to Attica, prison psychiatrists described him as well-oriented, pleasant, cooperative, and no more than mildly depressed, saying that he was actually too stupid to be psychoanalyzed. And that's oh where God. he just, that's the superpower. Sometimes wow. you can just be stupid enough wow. to just slide like fucking pigeon shit through the system. That's a, that is, jeez. However, additional examinations diagnosed him as a schizophrenic pedophile suffering from an intermittent explosive personality who was completely unconcerned with the suffering of his victims or their families. But those evaluations, they kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I got to say, that's why we're really happy to have you here as the shift manager at Amazon, because you (laughs) really show all of the qualities we need here at the warehouse. That's true. And here's your whip. Make sure if they get out of line. They also seem to ignore his violent outbursts, like the time he bit two guards, cut another with a shiv, and set fire to his bed after refusing to leave his cell because the rest of the inmates had found out he was a fucking child killer. He was treated very harshly in prison. Uh, by everyone, uh, as he should have been. I mean, honestly, I mean, maybe not. I don't know what to say about that. That's like one of those like gray areas because we know what he did right. later on. So you want to say like you're happy about this, but it didn't help anything. No, it did because didn't. it definitely didn't make him a better person. It did not fix a fucking thing, and it made everything worse. No, so there's no silver lining to any of that. Got his ass kicked a whole bunch and a whole series of other things. But yeah, it didn't. It did not reform or help the situation. No. No, but even so, his wife Penny stood by his side and never believed Arthur had killed two kids and continued to believe in his innocence until he finally confessed to her in a prison letter, adding that she was an idiot for ever having believed him. Jeez! This, oh my God. No, but he's I, a, uh, you could go ahead and say he's a real piece of shit. I think yeah. that's safe to say. In further psychiatric examinations, he would change his story about the murders, saying he killed Karen Hill because he was taking a dump under the bridge and Karen stumbled upon him. And he was afraid that a little girl witnessing his dump would threaten his parole. That makes a lot. That makes sense. (laughs) You know, it all adds up. That's why whenever I'm committing a crime in the middle of it, truly from now on, just take a public dump. Take a dump. (laughs) Yeah. But the problem was that every single psychiatrist who spoke with Arthur Shawcross had a different opinion, with some saying he showed progress, while others would label him as a definite menace to society. But since the New York prison system was so overcrowded, and because there was no consistency to any of these reports, the parole board decided to believe the more glowing evaluations, and Arthur Shawcross was released from prison on parole 
1987, having served just 15 years for the murder, rape, and cannibalization of two fucking kids. Well, that was a mistake by Good, the parole right. board. You <laughs> are say, do, do your due diligence. <laughs> well, this is more about overcrowded prisons and oversentencing and fucking the per- all that sort of. Well, shit. they kept the guy in who's smoking the doobie. He's still there. Thank God <laughs> we, we got him off him. the streets. Got to get Arthur out of there. Make oh room for God. all of these kids who believe that Carter was better than Reagan. Did you see Carter <laughs> finally came out and admitted that the story was true about his son smoking weed on the roof? Yeah. Willie Nelson. It's cute. <laughs> We're writing about Arthur Shawcross. His parole officer said, This man is possibly the most dangerous individual to have been released to this community in many years. Oh, my God. And 11 women in Rochester, New York, were going to find out just how correct that officer was. Couldn't they just get someone to watch him all the time and just, he's going to mess well, up? We're going to get, we're going to get oh. into why, we're going to, next episode, we're going to get into exactly why they didn't. This wasn't the freaking 1800s. This is like 1987. 1987. Like we are, we 1987. 20 years away from the smartphone. You can't fucking figure this out. Like, oh my. Anyway, we'll get into it. There'll we'll be a lot of that. It. We'll get I, into it. Next episode's going to be a lot of me doing that. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, by yeah. then, by then it's already been done. Oh. I hate to say that the word, this sentence, but the genie has been let out of the lamp. Jesus. <laughs> now he you is imagine free. imagine if he's the genie. You rub the lamp and you like, that's the genie that comes out. So you want a million dollars. How about this? How about I uh, grant the wish of you experiencing the supple taste of human flesh? I don't I, want, I want a million dollars. I hate <laughs> Aladdin 4. Aladdin oh. 4 gets really dark. Jumps the freaking shark. All yeah. right, Arthur Shawcross, part one. Disgusting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, extremely, uh, yeah, psychologically fascinating as well. Um, so thank you all so much for listening to this episode on Arthur Shawcross. We are back to some heavy hitters here. And um, we got this yeah. week, yeah. we're covering uh, Arthur Shawcross next week. Then we have a fucking UFO story that I've been waiting to tell for a very long time. And then spooky season begins. Oh, I know that Halloween, Halloween has been largely canceled, which makes me um, emotionally upset, but I'm not going well, uh, everyone... to get into this right now. But what I will say is that we're going to do our best to keep some Halloween entertainment flowing of in course. October. We have a bunch of special shit that we're going to roll out and tell you, we're excited to tell you about that we've been working on. And I, uh, you know, and we, don't worry on last podcast left, we're going to get a, 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 a spooky. Speaking of UFOs, we have an interview with Sarah Scholes, that's Henry and I, uh, for for our Patreon, we're talking all about UFOs and her, of course, her wonderful book. Uh, they're they're already here. It's great, uh, and then which she is goes, awesome. She goes and she has a skeptic's view. But she is very kind to us. Yeah, she's very sweet. <laughs> uh, again, keep on supporting all the shows here on the Last Podcast Network. The LPN show this past week uh, had Jason Science. We talked about his recovery from uh, being uh, paralyzed. And uh, it was just really remarkable stuff. Man, he's stuff. looking and really good, too. He's, yeah. he's doing great. And- of course, Jason Signs, uh, for all of you old school uh, LPN listeners back when we were CCR, Jason Signs was the host of Unlimited Lives, which yes. is a show that we had way back in the day. Absolutely. And he started the rivalry with Holden about video games on Roundtable. And that's where Sign Signs started. <laughs> yeah. And he would bring the signs into the studio and, uh, and roast everyone. Ed Larson came <laughs> up with the term Sign Signs. And uh, yeah, so check out the LPN show. Politics is uh, Abel against Top Hat. Wrestling kind of fun for all your music uh, inquiries. You can listen to No Dogs in Space. I believe they're covering the Misfits. Oh, that was many months ago. We are now Great. three. <laughs> Great. We are, we're now uh, we're three parts in. in. 
wasn't many months ago. Months ago. <laughs> it wasn't many months ago. It was, it was many. I think it was about two or three series ago. We I think usually... they're covering the Misfits. <laughs> See, and then you can say he did add a kind of question mark. Like, yeah, question mark. And, I, and I appreciated the question mark. I really, I did appreciate the question mark. But no, we're uh, we just released uh, part three of uh, Dead Kennedys, where we oh, we just I, talked about fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. And I don't want to ruin this for anyone, but the next big band they're doing is the Traveling Wilburys, uh, which <laughs> I, I think honestly, is going to be really exciting. Marcus, no Dogs covers the Traveling Wilburys. Marcus didn't like any of my suggestions. He was like talking about like what they're going to do in the future, and I was like fucking Seeger and he's yeah, like no, he doesn't want to do Seeger and I was like well Springsteen and, and then Marcus nope. the eyes his eyes rolled and I was like oh that's the Prince of New Jersey yeah it's I the Prince of New Jersey but you don't want to do it though that's fine I uh, I appreciate Springsteen he's great I love the album Nebraska but I don't get Springsteen fog hat what, you want to do that <laughs> Kinda I can't him. talk about I, I agree I, I'm not gonna fake it and talk about a guy that I don't get oh, what about okay. Edgar Winter that's not bad. He had a full band. You're not going to do Edgar Winter? I'm no. sure he'll get to it. He'll get to it. <laughs> no, he's not doing any of my favorites. Well, he's, you know, it's not for us. Bad company. Uh, yeah, bad we've, company. We've actually, we've talked about bad company a little bit in one episode. <gasps> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. He's um, our friend. Check out last podcast merch, too. Yes. For, for that. Absolutely. In we case got the, you we, are nude right now. We have clothes for you. We have clothes for you. You can go look at it. Or if you need a lighter to to light your sweet, sweet Chiba, we got merch there for that. Legalize it. Absolutely. Don't criticize it. Honestly, they need to release everyone who's in jail for marijuana. All right. There we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Never forget, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Magustulations, everyone. Hail me. And how about, um, instead of killing... How about you read a book? Read a book. That's a great thing to do during quarantine times. If you're corny, read a book instead. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, honestly, you can masturbate. Now you can masturbate. Now? I mean, now that it's just not during this whole no, story. No, I don't think no, people... This is no. going to take a while, I think, before I, people can get in the groove. I say wait an hour. Wait, a, wait an least. hour until after you listen to this. Because you don't want any lines getting crossed. Don't no, cross no. the lines. No, it's like Ghostbusters. Do not cross the streams here. Do not cross the streams. <laughs> I'll cross some streams with you. You're disgusting. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.